Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Arundel Biz Podcast, powered by Anne Arundel Economic Development Corporation. That is a mouthful. <laughs> I'm your host, Grayson Orfe, and since day one, among many other things, uh, let's say a food connoisseur. And I'm Steve Adams, uh, the marketing and outreach manager here at AAEDC. And uh, like Grayson, I'm definitely a man who loves his protein, um, specifically a regular at the Annapolis Amish market. So with that in mind, and also with Women's History Month in mind, I'm very pleased to introduce today's guest, Sarah Campbell. Uh, She's a fourth generation farmer who raises all sorts of animals at New Roots Farm, a beautiful family farmstead located in Southern Anne Arundel County. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And just to kick things off, if you could tell us uh, a little bit about your background and what you got, what got you interested in farming and um, how you ended up uh, starting New Roots. Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, I grew up around agriculture. Um, My mom was a veterinarian. My parents had a farm. My dad's family um, and my grandparents were apple growers in North Carolina. And so, you know, and my grandfather was an extension agent. So I very much kind of grew up around the industry, but didn't really think that I actually wanted to become a farmer. I thought I might want to go to law school or, you know, work in the nonprofit sector. And It was when I was in school that I became really, really interested in environmental issues and sustainable agriculture and labor issues uh, and kind of realized that agriculture might actually be a really good home for me. And I loved the farm. So, and I loved being outside. And so I kind of fell into it. I worked at a couple of, like a lot of young people kind of getting started in farming. I worked at a couple of like different organic farms and learned about vegetable production and came back home to my family's farm after some conversations with my mother and told her that I would be interested in farming on our family's land and we kind of talked about what that might look like. I thought that I wanted to do everything like vegetables, meat, grains, and, you know, through kind of trial by fire and trial and error, stopped doing vegetables even though I love them, I leave that to the experts. Uh, And I really fell in love with livestock production and raising and selling meat. So that's what we do at New Roots Farm. We use intensive rotational grazing management practices, uh, like what's called now regenerative agriculture. And we raise grass-finished beef, grass-fed lamb, pastured pork, and pasture-raised chicken. So We have a lot of pastures and the animals rotate around the farm. We move the cows every 24 hours. We like basically rotate the pigs through the pastures. They eat a lot of pasture as like forage. We move our chickens every 24 hours. And so it's been kind of a whole journey. I started out with just the hogs and then just kept adding species. I think I've like drawn the line now. Uh, I did turkeys one year and it was like very much a failed experiment. So I am also going to leave that to the experts. Um, But so that's kind of where we're at with this rotational grazing and intensive management of these four different species. And then we have a meat CSA here at the farm um, and a farm store, which we actually just opened last year. And I do like custom, I started out selling like whole and half hogs and then got into pork by the cut. So it's just been kind of a 
adding things as we go and like figuring it out as we go along. Now we do one for Sunday farmer's market. So it's been kind of a long journey. I moved back here in 2014 and then like started new roots in earnest in like 2016. I'd been like raising pigs and kind of like figuring stuff out in between then. So that's kind of my, my background and, and the farm story there. Very cool. One, one follow-up. So was it a working farm when you were growing up there or um, it, is everything it, new? Um, it was a working farm, but my family actually rented it out to a commodity grower. So okay. they were growing corn, wheat, soybeans most of my life. Cool. So now the thing about it is that like a lot of people um, and we, we interview a lot of people on this podcast, right? And a lot of business owners and what, what they usually say is, you know, they they were had an interest in it, then they became their business, their passion and things like that. And so what's, what was your interest? Like, as far as, cause you listed a whole bunch of things and your farm does a lot. So what was your, um, what was your, your interest in it? Like, how did you decide to become like a farm-based business? That is a really good question. And I think when I started farming, I honestly hadn't like thought it all the way through. I was just like, yes, like I want to raise cows. I love cows. I want to raise and sell like grass finished beef. I think there's a market for it. I think it's healthy. Like I think it's better for the land and the environment. Like I'm going to do this. And I didn't really think through honestly, like a lot of the nuts and bolts, there's a ton of logistics in farming and like setting up a business and man, if I knew then what I know now, I would have done a lot of things <laughs> differently and like saved a lot of money and a lot of heartache. But, you know, I was just like, I want cows. I want to do this. And then everything else kind of just happened or came along the way at the time I was like farming with a different business partner and he really wanted hogs and I was like okay like I guess you know and so and then I ended up like falling in love with pigs like they're so wonderful and they're so delightful and I like I really initially only wanted cattle and I did not go into it really fully prepared I did not have like a solid business plan like I didn't have all the logistics worked out a lot of other farmers have like helped me along the way I mean when it came time to like butcher the first animals, like I didn't even have a butcher like appointment. Like there was just so many like mistakes and hard lessons. So I don't think there was ever a crystallizing moment where like, I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And like, it all came together. Like I've been doing this for how many years now? And I feel like it's like finally coming together. <laughs> you know, I've just been getting like I call them like get one enterprise figured out as a time. I got like raising pigs, like really dialed in. Okay. Figured out chicken. Okay. Now like the beef is where I wanted to be. Next, we're really going to like focus on improving the quality and our like management of the like sheep and our lamb production. So it's just been like adding layers and pieces. So you, you touched on it a little bit earlier and I, I wanted to know if we can kind of expand on that, you know, as a, uh, you know, a small uh, woman owned business, you know, what were some of the challenges that you faced, uh, whether it was being a woman in this, in this industry or just even being new in this industry, you know, you hit on it a little bit earlier, but you know, could you kind of expand on that? Happy to. Well, 
there's a lot of challenges. I'm also not a particularly like organized person. So I find the administrative side of running a business to be really, really challenging, figuring out what type of entity you need, like setting up an LLC, remembering to like file all of the various forms and like paperwork and like there's so many different licenses that you need like it was Mm -hmm. I personally find that really challenging to navigate even like still staying on top of all those things can be a lot and I rely on a lot of the resources in our community like the different business support folks or like if I've got a question about licensing and inspection and like what the health department needs like there are folks that I will call and like that is their job they help farmers with that so I'm very very grateful for the investments that like Maryland has made in supporting small businesses because honestly I don't think in farming we talk about that enough you know people have these like sort of like romantic ideas or like farming is a noble like profession like you're a steward of the land and you're feeding people isn't that great I'm like okay but like what about all this other stuff and this like giant amount of paperwork that I don't know what to do with and like nobody talks about this and this is really hard um you know that is it's hard and you know it's tied to the management too like knowing your cost of production being able to do the type of projections knowing how much feed you're going to need knowing how many days you're going to be grazing in a you know in a section and like how many days of winter grazing you have how much hay to buy like it requires a lot of planning and organization that you know kind of go hand in hand with being able to like observe the land and the animals and like get a sense of like, do they have enough space? Was this enough grazing for this day? Like, can I make it smaller? Do they need more? Like, how's my forage? And, you know, some of it is you have to be out there in the field. And then a lot of the time is spent behind the desk. And, you know, I haven't even talked about like marketing and selling your products. Like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, a whole other time to piece. So, you know, kind of having to wear a million hats is very challenging particularly in farming because you're like I am a marketing professional I have to know about food safety I am also a veterinarian I am labor and delivery like I am a mechanic like I do we do everything mostly ourselves it also goes to show you it's like whenever you meet somebody who's been in this industry for so long they have all this vast knowledge and you're just kind of looking at them like oh my god how do you know all this well they've had to do everything so that's you know that's that's yeah that's amazing that's amazing yeah and just like navigating buying farm equipment or like getting my first business loan like that felt like a huge milestone Mm -hmm. and you know I'm very lucky because again I've like attended a lot of educational courses and workshops and farm conferences that talk about ag lending and credit and I've had a lot of exposure to it but it can honestly be like really confusing and overwhelming and ag lending is different than any other business loan uh so there's also that um and then I guess as a woman I mean I like agriculture is very much like a like a good old boys club in a lot of places. Um, you know, the average farmer is older. Um, right. Most of them are men. And so, you know, last time I went to the cattle auction, there were like maybe four women there or like five and like three of them were like me and two of my friends. You know, it's very much a male dominated industry and I'm really young. So I think there is sometimes people can be kind of patronizing or like not take you seriously. Uh, So there is that, I think it's changing a little bit. Uh, 
when I first started farming, people were like, well, where's your dad? Where's your husband? And like, they don't ask that anymore, uh, which is good. Maybe I was like, (laughs) really rude. Probably was, uh, you know, about those. They're like, can I speak to your husband or can I speak to your father? I was like, no, you can speak to the business owner. That's me. Um, Or you can speak to the landowner. That's my mother. Which one of us would you like to deal with? I don't think either of us are going to enjoy this, like from how this has started. So, you know. Well, listen, you're a trailblazer. So, you know, when when you're a trailblazer, you're knocking down those doors that haven't been knocked down before. So, yeah, yeah. More power to you. Yeah, because I guess uh, you'll you'll be the the mentor farmer uh, 30 years from now to yeah. advising and um, walking others through through all the hoops you've had to jump through, which is awesome. It is. And, you know, it's agriculture is changing. And especially when you're talking about like the next generation and beginning farmers, like there are a lot more women, actually, than, you know, when you like kind of break out the segments and you look at like the ag census data, um, and you break it out by like age or, you know, 10 years or less of experience, like the next generation is a little more diverse and there are more women than there are in kind of like the rest of the farm population. So I do think it's changing um, and there are more women entering into agriculture. And, you know, I always encourage them to, you know, continue on. It can be really hard and you can feel very alone, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of really great resources and sort of support systems for for women in ag and you know I have found pockets or like communities of of female farmers who I have found very very supportive it's like I just joined recently with the Maryland lamb co-op which is a couple of female sheep farmers and we all work together and like co-market our products and you know it's a really great support system so you know we're selling product together marketing product but like I can call them I have questions like when we can troubleshoot we can help each other out like you know finding kind of those mentors and the support systems is really important yeah that's awesome and I, ha- I gotta give a little shout out to uh two two badass ladies that run Arundel Ag that's mm-hmm. Lisa and Brittany so we yep. we're, we're all for uh you know um women making a name for themselves in ag in the in the county um I do. Women, women make agriculture go around and women feed the world. Like truly, you know, when you look at like the global, like food system, a lot of that labor is, is done by women, even if it is unpaid kind of all around the world. And then even in agriculture, you know, you look at the census data and there's like a lot of male farmers, but you know, their wives, their partners, their sisters, their mothers are like the ones who are keeping the books. They're in the tractor at harvest time. Like they pay, play a really important role in those businesses. And sometimes they're just not counted. Right. Right. Well, so speaking of, you know, going back to all the different animals that you've added to the roster um, over the years, can you again, go through all the different types of animals that you raise and also, you know, any um, products that you sell. I know you mentioned CSA and uh, some whole animal um, stuff, but uh, can you just go through the full inventory list? Yes, the menu. Yeah, yeah, we do grass finished beef. So we do the intensively raised, rotationally grazed beef um we have kind of a mix of cattle we actually do a lot of our own breeding here at the farm and we breed for animals that kind of like thrive on pasture and thrive in this environment so i don't have like registered black angus you know we've got kind of a good mix here there's angus crosses i have british whites which i really love 
they do really well in pasture and then south poles which are like a hybrid that was developed kind of more in the deep south and they're sort of drought tolerant do really well on pasture and like kind of that's what they were bred for so we've got some crosses and we're figuring out what works really well here and what kind of gives the best beef um you know to give you that kind of like the marbling and the flavor profile because you know grass finished beef is leaner so we're really like striving to kind of have a product that is really really good and sort of comparable to what most people are used to which is which is grain grain finished beef mm-hmm. um and we do a 21 day at a minimum 21 to 28 day dry age on all of our beef so that's been kind of like really fun to also like get to the point where you know the product quality is is good enough to be able to do that kind of like long dry age so it's very delicious um we also raise pasture raised pork i've got i call it a large burkworth but they're like berkshire cross hogs we raise those on pasture um we do also year round with everything but the chicken so all our pigs are born on pasture raised on pasture all that fun stuff we do grass-fed lamb and we have two types of sheep. I have what you call natural colored long wool, which are primarily bred for their fiber, actually. They're a dual purpose breed, so meat and wool. Um, and they are a cross of different kind of more like fiber focused breeds because with sheep, there are so many different types of sheep. Sheep are amazing. They raise them all over the world and there's like tons of breeds. Um, so we've got a fiber flock and they are coated. So they wear little jackets like that protect their wool year round and I just have a ton of coats and as their wool grows they just upgrade to like the next size and so we sell yarn I do sell actually raw fiber just the wool the fleece to hand spinners I've sold it wholesale but I mostly actually sell it to like fiber artists and hand spinners and people who are mm, basically processing it themselves and like selling boutique yarn or like roving for other hand spinners. So it's kind of its own little like cottage industry there of like really high-end wool products. So we sell into that. I sell yarn and we sell pelts. And then we also have border cheviots, which are a really wonderful, like hardy breed of sheep um, that do really, really well on pasture. So I have both of those kind of the more fiber focused breeds that are also great for meat and then kind of the more like meat production flock but they still also have fiber which is a viable product I really love sheep they're actually my favorite thing at the farm they're so fun and I like learned so much like I'm always constantly learning new things about sheep so we've got the yeah wool meat pelts yarn from the sheep there's chicken I raise pasture raised chicken we raise what's called like color yield um it's more heritage style bird um like basically they have some connections to like a french program that the french have a certified program for pasture raised chicken where they are like raised outdoors for a very long period of time and at some point they imported some of those genetics into the u.s and they use them to make like hybrid chickens for u.s farmers so we have those so they are a little more slow growing than like the typical bird that you raise on pasture, but I really love the flavor. And we do those seasonally. It's like April through September, October. And I don't raise a ton of chicken because I do not love it. Chickens are like not my passion, but they're very, very delicious and our customers love them and they're great for our CSA. So I have those. Uh, the CSA is basically like a monthly subscription where folks subscribe. We have different sizes and they come to the farm and pick up kind of an assorted share of meat every month. We do custom and then we also sell retail by the cut. Farm stores open almost every Saturday from 
11 to 2 and then we do a first Sunday in market so we kind of do a variety of, of channels with the pandemic we started doing some like curbside orders I get a lot of text messages from people that are like do you have bacon can you just like leave stuff in the cooler for me out by the farm store so mm. I you know <laughs> fill orders that way uh so it kind of it's all direct to consumer so we sell directly to folks and then we do a tiny bit of of like restaurants and wholesale but but not a lot of that wow that's a tough so what's your what's your ballpark at any given time on how many uh how many total animals you've got i'm sure it's a, a huge range but oh, it is it's a lot i mean at any given time there's usually at least like 50 sheep on the farm we've really expanded the cattle operation so um we take cows on the butcher every other month. So we've got about 30. The goal is to get up to having about like 60 head of cattle on the farm at any given time. Oh, wow. um, with the hogs, it's not a huge operation. We're also kind of scaling that up right now. Um, but in like 30 to 40 pigs, it's not nothing massive. Um, and then chickens, we only do like a couple hundred of those a year. It's a sort of okay. limited edition product. It's mostly for the CSA. It's a lot of a lot of animals, a lot of inventory though to uh, keep it track is. of. Well, it does. It fluctuates. We like have just started lambing, so you know <laughs> the sheep herd is <laughs> gonna double. Yeah, I've, I was gonna say I've seen some uh, some nice uh, pictures on social media over the last couple of weeks. So I'm sure it's a a very busy time as we're getting into spring it it is i know and it's been so warm i know it's the fall spring like we get this every february right. where it like psychs you out but that kind of just little bit of like warm weather i tell people it's like when you wake up really suddenly and you think that you're late for something and you just like shoot up and then you like cannot relax and go back to sleep like that is what the fall springs I'm like there's so much to do spring is coming like must get ready like you can't like chill out you're yeah. like it's okay I'm just gonna like ride out winter like stay inside like it's time to start worrying and preparing for the next season so now the, this is the thing so with with the meat that you raise right can you really taste the difference from because you know I've been in a grocery store and I've seen where there's the uh, uh, yard raised or grass fed or this that and the third and I'm just kind of like you know you know I don't know whether it's it's a psyche thing or like I'm eating this and I'm like oh yeah I taste the grass in it <laughs> you know what I mean so you can you can definitely yeah. taste the grass um okay, so i'm not tripping i'm not you're you're not um, it's not false advertising it's no okay. pasture raised meats they really do taste different um and i i think our customers kind of i mean honestly they all are like wow it's so different I, people i mean a lot of people who are like i don't like lamb and i'm like you think you don't like lamb because you've only had like grocery store commodity lamb that's like corn fed like this is really different our like grass-fed lamb tastes a lot more like beef like i our lamb like six other folks i'm like if i cooked one of these and a new york strip and like fed them to you i don't know that you would be able to tell the difference like they're so similar in like texture and flavor but yeah grass-fed meats do taste different um i love it when i convert people they're like i'm never eating like grocery store chicken again I'm like, right mm -hmm. yeah uh you know it's really good like what you get from local farms is so fresh and so good and 
some people do prefer like a corn fed um like or corn finished beef and you know it's it's a more it can be a more mild flavor um with beef the flavor is like some of it is tied up into like how it's raised and the genetic and like the forage and some of it is genetics um that's why i do really like the angus and the british whites i think they have a very like mild flavor some other breeds that I've tried raising have absorbed like a really strong kind of like grassy flavor in the especially in it kind of like deposits in the fat and you know that's like not for everyone um and so I've tried to you know in a choosing our animals get something that gives me kind of like that mild more mild like flavor profile because I want people to love grass-finished beef and you know all basically all beef in the U.S. is like grass-fed all those cows start out on grass they're raised on mostly like small farms, you know, and cow-calf operations. And then, you know, it's like the finish is like where they're going to going to a feedlot a lot of the time. But, which is where that, you know, gets to that kind of like the corn flavor or, you know, maybe they're finished on like barley or something, depends on what they're doing. But it does taste different. And particularly with the pork um, as well, you know, the, like the super lean other white meat kind of, that is not what like farm-raised pork tastes like at all. Um, it's got a lot more like marbling and flavor and texture and people like, I grew up like hating pork chops. And I was like, nobody wants to eat this like shoe leather that you gotta like cook in a crock pot, like mm-hmm. all day, absolutely not like, ooh. And cause then that's how a lot of people like remember some of these meats is just being like really lean and like not very flavorful. But, you know, it's really different now. Like, I prepare a pork chop like I would a good steak. Like, you know, they don't take much, like a few minutes on each side, like serum, and they're like super delicious. And people definitely, they know, they can taste a difference. Their kids can taste a difference. I have customers who are like, oh, well, we like cooked breakfast. And, you know, my like son was like, this isn't Miss Sarah's bacon, is it? Like, they can tell. Yeah, that's good. Developing your own brand in the the marketplace. That's awesome. Yeah. And your marketing's halfway done just with that. So, yeah. Yeah. If you got, if you got happy kids (laughs) eating all your meats, you're, you're in good shape. Kind of weird follow-up to that then is when you're, you know, selecting or thinking about bringing on a new type of uh, cow or uh, pig to raise or whatever, do you guys actually, you know, I guess, quote unquote, taste test beforehand? Is, is that part of, you know, the process? I have done kind of an amount of taste testing. I've raised actually a ton of different breeds. Like when I got into hogs, I started with, you know, a heritage breed that's like traditionally like a lard pig and I was like I love this it's like very old school but like not for your average person like this is not gonna be what I think like consumers want or like familiar enough and there were some where I was like eh, don't love the flavor or like don't love how long they take or like don't love their personality out of here you know like temperament is also really important Mm -hmm. selection especially when you're a small farmer interacting with animals all the time and everybody who works here is like a woman I was like I can't have an aggressive animal so like you know there's a lot of things that kind of come into play in our selection but yes and even with the cows when I first started out we weren't doing as much breeding it was more like buy cows figure out kind of how to manage this figure out what you want to do 
like try some different things and then maybe like more like commit to you know an investment like more expensive breeding stock I kind of had a feeling that I probably wanted white parks because I've done a lot of reading uh, and research about them and had like and I've tasted beef from a lot of different farms um that is one of the things you can do too is I go and I buy like meats from other farmers if I'm thinking about trying something new if it's something that they already do so you know when we first started I bought a lot of beef from like different farms different breeds like visited a lot of farms asked a lot of questions it was very and I do even like side-by-side taste tests periodically here at the farm if I've raised a couple of different breeds like we'll do a side-by-side like cook some meat comparison mm-hmm. kind of like talk about it and things like that so it's very iterative and there is a lot of taste testing along the way that's awesome and I guess uh going off of that you know especially related to the taste testing on the farm um I know you're very involved with you know doing some public outreach with helping the public learn where food comes from and um, also growing the farm community in the county. So can you tell, and I think you've got um, a mobile mobile processing uh, workshop coming up. So can you tell us about some of that outreach? Yeah, so, well, and, you know, I have an off-farm job that does involve some like advocacy and industry work that has given me a lot of insights. And then, you know, just the steep learning curve of starting a farm is, I've, it's really challenging to like, start a business and thrive in agriculture especially as a beginning farmer um kind of like is and if you're like a first generation farmer like starting from nothing I was really lucky because my family has land um I'm able to bar I'm I'm, like I'm using a tractor and it like might be from 1968 but like I didn't have to buy it you know (laughs) like so there's so many things that like gave me already a leg up um so you know, some of that is driven by a desire to see other people enter into this industry and succeed. And then some of it is really just about addressing barriers and challenges. Processing is a huge bottleneck. Mm -hmm. Um, My beef appointments are booked through 2023. And I work very hard to keep my butcher very happy with me. They get Christmas presents. Like they get, you know, it's, I tell them thank you every time I see them because it's just, it's really, can be really hard to get appointments. And like, that's a bottleneck. So with poultry, you know, you can do on-farm processing, which is what we do. Um, Maryland, you can process, I think, up to like 20,000 birds on your farm without having to go to a USDA inspected plant, which is a really astronomical number of chickens. We'll never like ever touch that threshold, but you know, the equipment was expensive. It's very labor intensive to raise and process chicken at a small scale. And I was at a farm conference and they talked to um, Ali Barlow, who had written a book about mobile processing units and some other things and like a book about, you know, food activism. And they had gotten a grant in like Martha's Vineyard to buy a mobile processing unit and train some people on it. And then they would go to farms and process birds for the chickens. Mm. And, you know, I thought that was really interesting because, you know, the equipment is like $10,000 if you want to buy like really nice equipment, you know, kind of like it's a pretty high barrier for something like poultry, um, you know, like we're, at least I have pretty narrow profit margins on um, because of the like labor piece. 
and other farmers do too. And also if you just want to like try something or like see if it works for you, like that is just not really the most savvy investment you can make. And so I talked to Lisa Barge about at AEDC about, you know, would it be possible? Cause they have that, they have a farm equipment program where they rent equipment and, and I was like, could we, could we get this equipment? Like, I think there are other farmers in the area who would use it. And, you know, she asked around, she did the research, she read the book, I gave her a copy of it. And yeah, they got a grant to get the MPU. So now we have a mobile processing unit for chicken. Um, It's like self-contained in a trailer. It's got all of the equipment anybody could need. They just kind of have to provide some of their like additional kind of infrastructure for the day, like hoses, knives, like, you know, their own washing supplies things like that but it's pretty like plug and play and so you can and farmers have used it and they come and they like rent it for a day or a couple days and they take it to their farm and process birds and bring it back so I store it here at my farm and maintain it and take care of it and that's been really great I would love to see more people use it and kind of get into poultry um it's been kind of exciting to see some folks who like rent it or who like use it for you know a year or two and then scale up and like expand their production and like you know get something bigger at their own facility I think it's a really great resource for somebody who is like looking to grow or to see if something fits in their business um not having to like sink this huge investment And then also for folks who are like me, who are like, I want to keep this small. It's kind of a component of my business, but it's not going to be like a major revenue stream. I will never be able to like justify building like a building to like do this in. Um, So like this works for me kind of at my scale. So it's been really fun and interesting. And again, I'm just like really, really appreciative that I'm in a county that like has this type of program where like they buy farm equipment that we can rent because it's, is a huge cost saving to the producers. And like, the truth is like poultry is seasonal. Like we raise chickens like April through September, you know, and they do like four or five batches a year. You know, we do them in like big batches. So, you know, a lot of equipment you don't use all the time, you know, you just like need it when you need it. So it's really great to not have to buy it and have it like sit there collecting dust in your barn. That's awesome to hear that, you know, just uh, you seeing something that worked at a conference, you know, sparked an idea and then um, you kind of raised it with, uh, with Lisa and it ended up getting that result. I know we just uh, a couple weeks ago launched the um, Ag Needs Assessment Survey and um, that's what it's all about. It's kind of seeing what farmers need or want or what their ideas are to grow their business and then uh, what we can potentially do to help it. So I know that's uh, a very, something uh, Arundel Ag's really proud of and um, definitely just to all the farmers out there listening, they, they want to hear from you. So keep the ideas coming for sure. Yeah, it's really great. I have some farm friends who are like, what do you how why do you have all this like really cool stuff in your county like I want that where I'm at we don't have anything <laughs> like that and I'm like you gotta go to your like local government then like yep. or go, go go find your local economic development corporation and like talk to them about like serving farmers like yeah yeah it's a big thing so look listen we're gonna be pushed for time a little bit so what I want to do is Get to that top five segment. This is my favorite uh, yes. segment of the show. You have no idea because in this segment, we actually get 
to not only learn about your business, but learn about you personally. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start with mine, um, which is our pretty standard one, which is what are your do's and don'ts for entrepreneurs and, you know, especially women entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting a farm-based business or, or maybe have started a small one, but are looking to grow. Okay. Five do's or don'ts or just a few. Uh, Well, it doesn't have to add up exactly. (laughs) Okay. A a mix of do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts. All right. Don't do it alone. Like build your bench, find a support system. That doesn't mean you like, you know, have to have a business partner, but it means like have a mentor, uh, you know, like seek out those supportive resources. And like, like you know, we have like Annie's project, which is like awesome. It's a sort of like business and like financial acumen training program for like women in ag, you know, there are so many great things. Um, also it kind of goes in the like, it's like do and don't like with the don't do it alone. Like don't do your own taxes. Like mm. as it's just, the day that I like hired an accountant and like a CPA was just like a weight was lifted from my shoulders. And I was like, Oh, there's a lot of value in like not doing everything yourself. So don't do everything yourself, figure out like what you can outsource to the professionals. Um, and like, you know, where to invest your time. There are some things where I was like, this would take me so much longer. And like, this is not the best use of my time. My time is best spent in like marketing my product or like doing something at the farm. And if I pay a licensed professional, like she can keep me out of trouble. I love my accountant. She's so fabulous. Like, <laughs> you know, and you know, like same with like I, the first time I ended up like sort of starting an LLC, dissolving it and then doing a new one. And like the first time I did like legal zoom, don't do that. Like I got a real attorney. <laughs> like, you know, it's like some of these things where, I was like, if I DIY it, I can save some money. It was like, no, I can just like make a bigger mess for myself. So I would say, you know, those would be kind of my, like my do's and my don'ts. Those are good, good ones. So now my, mine is, is very, very, very fun. So I want to know being in the industry that you're in, um, one, what are your top five places? I'm sorry, your, your top five things to cook. And then also, what are your top five places to eat in Anne Arundel County? Okay, that's a good question and a fun question. And that is partly, I think, why I got into farming is because I love food. Like, I love to eat. I love to eat really well, really good food. Like, there's no potluck like a farmer's potluck. Like, they bring, like, really good good stuff to the potluck. You want to invite them. Um cooking I because I'm so busy do enjoy a lot of quick meals I have like embraced the instant pot as my savior and like I preach the gospel of the instant pot and like sheet pan dinners (laughs) for Mm. sure um but I also tell people I'm like steak is like I it's a great weeknight meal I love like steak and like roasted vegetables I love to do like a rice bowl with roasted vegetables and just like some of our sausage is like such an easy sheet pan dinner. Um, I love a roasted chicken. They're so good. You just like bake that whole bird. Um, you want to like impress somebody, cook a whole chicken and it's like yeah. deceptively simple. Yeah. <laughs> um, I eat a lot of chili um, and I like to make it with lamb or like a lamb and beef mix. Okay. Um, 
a cook I really mean like spicy meatloaf and I use our hot Italian sausage and I do half that and like half ground beef it's really good uh I use the like Chrissy Teigen recipe so I I love to cook I don't know I like cookbook shelf say, is like, like you overflowing could do, you could do a new roots cookbook I think right hey. I would love to one day one day <laughs> I want to like write more recipes and like do more with the like blog I love to write it's just you know time time yep. and those precious finite resources um I do not eat out a lot um I mean, you're doing all that at home. I mean, I wouldn't. (laughs) But I will say, like, now, like, Jesse J's has opened up, and it's just down the road from the farm. Like, when I'm super busy, I'm like, that is my, like, I I love Jesse J's. That's really great. Um, Honestly, I love Mexican food. I love, like, Indian food. I love Vietnamese food. So I love, like, Basmati in Annapolis, like, Saigon Palace in Edgewater. I love... I love a taco truck. Like I am a simple creature. And if I can have like tacos and rice and beans, I'm so happy. Uh, my favorite taqueria in Annapolis is Taqueria Hukulita. It's really great. It's like a little family owned business. It's right there by the quiet waters park. Um, it's in that little like strip mall. Oh yeah. Yeah. They are so great. It's like a mother and her son and like, she makes all the sauces from scratch and like, they're just so nice. I love that place. Um, we get, spent grains for the hogs from forward brewing and so oh, we go cool. to pick up grain and they also have our pork on the menu they do like pork tacos and stuff for their shoulder it's really great but i'm like well if i go get the grain then i can get like flautas on the way home i like try to make it <laughs> get a thing that's awesome yeah. um well i guess uh before we sign off can you just uh share your website and social handles so everyone can uh Learn yes. more about new roots and be sure to figure out how to get some of your products. Absolutely. Yeah. Our farm store is open on Saturdays from 11 to 2 or right off Money Creek Road. Our website is www.newroots.farm. Uh, and my Instagram handle is also newroots.farm. We're on Facebook. So you can like Google New Roots, new roots Farm, West River, Maryland, and we'll come up. So yeah check us out and thank you i got you guys do you've got a great instagram i've got to give it some some major love so i i suggest everybody find it and follow it thank you i appreciate that absolutely sarah we want to say thank you so much for joining us today uh this was this was great um um look it's pushing lunchtime so i'm getting ready i'm hungry now yeah yeah let's talk about food So uh, you can find this podcast and all of our other podcasts available on all, all of our social media channels. You can check out uh, at a, um, I'm sorry, at Arundel Biz uh, anywhere and you will pull not only this interview up, but many of the other interviews from the past that, uh, including Jesse J's, which was mentioned um which were great, great, which were great uh, interviews. So uh, we want to say thank you and please follow and subscribe on all of our channels. And uh, we want to thank you for just joining us today. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having great. me. It's fun yeah. talking to you both. Thanks. Absolutely. Have a good one. Have a good lunch. Yes. <laughs>